just good to be together as men this morning, that as we wake up to sing together, to worship your name, to give you glory and praise, Father, we thank you for that. Uh, You are a God who indeed has given us every blessing in Christ Jesus, and so we praise your name this morning, and we ask now that that uh, attitude, that posture of worship uh, would apply not only to our singing, but also to the way that we look at your word and your scripture, that Father, even as we discuss with one another, that that would be worshipful, uh, that we would worship with everything in our hearts and minds and souls, we, we pray this morning. So Father, as we open your word, as we open the Proverbs together, we pray that you would continue to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. Get a Bible out or the sheet in front of you. We will be mostly looking at the Proverbs on that sheet. It is front and back. So we'll be bouncing all over the place again this morning, but a Bible might help. We'll be in some other places as well. Uh, If you've ever read Stephen Covey, anyone read him before, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person, you know that one of the things he talks about are the roles that we play in life. And he, he says that every, everybody should basically take inventory, and it's kind of like an economy of self, right? There's only so many roles that you can take on that if you're really going to be honest with yourself, that all of us kind of juggle the hats that we wear in life, right? So for mine, you can start with, well, I'm a Christian, right? I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, so on and so on and so on. And there's one role that when I do this exercise for myself, that is so far down on the list, I always forget to even list it. Do you know what role that is? Friend. I'm a terrible friend. I'm a terrible friend. I, I don't even consider my role as a friend when I think about all that I have in my life, when I think about my calendar, my schedule, my priorities. I don't think about friendship. For my wife, friend is towards the top. She's always telling me, you've got to call this person, you've got to call that person, and I'm always forgetting. And yet friendship is something that we are called to value deeply. And I wonder this morning, where does friendship rank for you? How do you rank your role as a friend? What role does being a friend play in your life as a man? Because I think many of us are kind of like me. We are so busy, we have so much going on, we have so much responsibility that at worst, friendship is something that we don't feel like is necessary. And maybe at best, we just kind of forget about its importance. A a few quotes for you this morning to begin. This is Thomas Aquinas. He says, there's nothing on this earth that is to be prized more than friendship. Right, the great philosopher theologian Thomas Aquinas. Or someone like that to Albert Einstein, right? One of the most intelligent men our world has ever known. He said it this way However true, rare true love may be, it is less so than true friendship. All right, and then here's my favorite. I'm going to see if you can guess who this is. Friendship is everything, friendship is more than talent, it is more than government, it is almost the equal of family. Any guesses? Friendship is almost the equal of family. Come on, somebody be brave. 
Dobson. Somebody get Yogi Berra. That's a good. That's a good guess. <laughs> All right, the the great theologian Don Corleone, the Godfather. You're close. The Godfather. The Godfather. So you think about okay. This this one of the greatest films, right? <laughs> Smartest men, one of the wisest theologian philosophers. The, the idea that friendship is to be prized, it's to be valued, and that is really the message that Proverbs has for us this morning. That friendship is something to be treasured, and for us as men, I, I want you to leave here beginning to really treasure the friendships that you have, but to have a calling as well, that you are called to cultivate friendships because of the friendship that Christ has cultivated with you, okay? And so I want to look at five aspects of friendship. We'll do this pretty quickly, uh, just a few minutes on each one so you can get to your groups. And the first is this, and we're talking about true friendship, and we'll talk a little bit about true and false friendship, and what do we mean by true friendship? And the first is this, true friendship is a means of grace. True friendship is a means of grace. And if you've been around our church for very long, uh, or around the PCA, you've heard about the means of grace, prayer, uh, word, uh, the sacraments. We just celebrated communion this past Sunday. But one of the things that we talk just around here uh, about one of the means of grace that we don't talk about and don't teach is the means of grace of community. Uh, It's not official, right? (laughs) And I don't know how official, you know, these things can be. It's not like these are there's nothing in the Bible that says, here are the means of grace. But theologically, we, we always talk about those first three, but community is a, is a means. It's a way that God speaks to us. It's a grace that he gives to us, that being in community and fellowship with one another is a way that we see the hand of God. And we get that really from 1 John. If you think about what he says in 1 John chapter 4, he, he's talking about the reality that love, you can't, you can't see it any more than you can see God but you can see the effects of it. You can see who God is, His character, His love, and the way that we love one another. Well, this certainly applies to friendship, to friendship, true friendship, that God would actually use friendship, of all things, as a way to be gracious to us, as a way to point Him to Himself. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 24, if you look with me on the sheet, Proverbs 18, 24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So what we're talking about here is true friendship. Now you might say, well, I've got lots of friends. Uh, Lots of people who know me, I know lots of people. I remember in college, uh, especially my freshman year, I've progressively become more and more introverted. Maybe ministry does that to you. I was very extroverted in college. I had tons of friends. Uh, I knew everybody, everybody knew me, but to a point, right? To a point. I mean, at, at some level you have to say, okay, if you're the kind of person who has tons and tons and tons of friends, how many of those people actually know you, really? Know the real you, who you are on the inside, and do you really know them at a deep level? I think what this proverb is trying to teach us is there's a difference between just having lots of people around you that kind of know who you are or what you're about, many companions, as it says, versus the kind of friend, if you look at it with me again, who says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So here's a question for you this morning. 
Do you have a friend like that? A friend who is closer than a brother. I have a little sister. She's coming up uh, this weekend. Um, I can't wait to see her. I, I never had a brother. But I've had friends who are like brothers to me, who knew me so deeply I knew them, and I still do. I still do. Do you have a friend like that? A friend who knows you so deeply, so intimately, that you could say that friend is closer to me than even a brother would be. Maybe it is actually your biological brother. Maybe it's somebody else. But when you have a friend like that, a friend who knows you that deeply, that intimately, who can know you in that kind of way, it's a means of grace. We talked about this kind of friendship a couple weeks ago with marriage. That really, we should be friends with our wives. And for some of us, that was kind of revelatory. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, you should be friends with your wife. But there's a kind of friendship with, with a brother in Christ who gets it. Your, your wife can understand a lot of things about you, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago. There's a mystery between the sexes, right? We, we, we really miss each other sometimes. We, do, we don't always get it, but a brother, a brother can identify with many of the same struggles that you are, right? That what you confess together and how you point one another to the cross, how you point one another to the gospel can be incredibly profound. And, and really, that kind of friendship, the only one who's really loved us like that is Jesus Christ. And this is what John tells us. John 15, this is Jesus here. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. To really begin this morning and consider that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the one who will return and make all things new, this Jesus Christ no longer considers you as servants, but calls you friend. Closer than a brother. That means that he knows you, right? Even the things that you don't even want to show him. He knows. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you do. He knows everything about you, and even still, He loves you. And He has never, and He never will forsake you. We are called to a friendship that reflects the friendship of Jesus Christ with us. C.S. Lewis, I heard this quote a few uh, months ago. In a sermon, it's a great quote, uh, one of the greatest resources on friendship that you could read, Four Loves, uh, by C.S. Lewis. And he actually thinks that friendship is the highest. And it's amazing if you begin to think about all these forms of love that he actually considers friendship as the most profound. And he recognizes what he says. He says, to the ancients, friendship was the happiest and most fully human of all loves. It was the crown of life, the school of virtue. The modern world ignores it. And so he recognizes, really, in the, in the ancient world, friendship was valued above all else. But for us now, we don't really value it. It, it. it doesn't seem like it's all that helpful for us. There are other forms of love that are more expedient, right, that can get what we're after. Friendship takes time. It takes bearing with one another. It's hard. And that's why it's the most valued. C.S. Lewis would go on to talk about how he felt like friendship 
was the closest kind of love to divine love that we have. So we are called to a deep level of friendship with one another. Why? Because that's the kind of love that God has loved us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you have a friend like that who points you to Christ in that way? So the first thing, right? First thing, it's a means of grace. Second, well, true friendship favors the wise. True friendship favors the wise. Look with me at your sheet, Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four. 22.24 says this, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. And then Proverbs 13.20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. True friendship favors the wise. These two friends, uh, Proverbs together, if you look at it, one's talking about, well, if you befriend an angry man, it's going to make you more angry. If you befriend a man who is wise, it's going to push you to wisdom. You see, true friendship, it favors the wise in this way that those who we truly befriend at a deep level are going to influence us, whether we like it or not. And it's still the same as whether we were kids or we're 60 years old. That the people who are in our inner circle, those who are closest with us, Proverbs recognizes, those people are going to influence us, whether you like it or not. And you can say, no, I'm my own man. I, I do what I want. I can have anybody around me, and, and I, I'm, I'm an island. The great Thomas Merton said, no man is an island, right? You are, you are influenced by those who are closest to you, whether you like it or not. And Proverbs recognizes, okay, so who's in your inner circle? First, do you have a friend like that, and then who is it? Because I think the reality is this. I believe we're actually called to friendship, yes, with Christians and with non-Christians. I believe, and we'll talk about the very end, but I believe God calls us to friendship with really everyone. But when you talk about the kind of friendship that's closer than a brother, the closest people to you, your brothers in Christ, those who know you the best, it is only those who are following after Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's what wisdom is, right? It's only those who are following after Jesus Christ who can point you to Christ. It's not rocket science. And so, yes, do you have those who are closer than a brother? And, and do those people, do they love Jesus? Does that brother love Jesus Christ? Why does that matter? Because you're going to need someone in your life that when you are <laughs> completely blind to your sin, when you are doing something that you now, right now, if I told you you might do this, you'd say, just like Peter, oh, far be it from me. I would never do that. You're going to need men in your life who know Christ at a deep level, who don't just correct you and say, hey, don't do that, that's wrong. But know Christ well enough and know you well enough to say, hey, that's wrong. And you need to turn to the grace of Jesus Christ. Talk about accountability groups. and I, I think they're great. And, and perhaps you practice accountability in these. But accountability groups, if they stop at just telling each other, don't do that. You're just holding each other accountable to yourself. It doesn't work, does it? 
the greatest kind of accountability from a brother, from a true friend, is the one who holds you accountable to the gospel. He says, that's not who you are anymore. That's not a new creation in Christ. Somebody who knows Christ at that level. True friendship favors the wise. And you see uh, the Proverbs talk about true versus false friendship real quickly. Proverbs 14, 20, it's not on your sheet, but just listen. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. And so this is the kind of proverb that's saying, hey, look at the world around you. Look at these rich men who have lots of friends. And it's basically saying, really? I mean, it's, it's ironic. It's trying to get us to think about, wait a minute, the, the, the rich man has lots of friends, the poor doesn't. Are those really true friends? And the proverb is trying to help us understand, no, those aren't real friends. Those aren't real friends. Proverbs 19.6, many seek the favor of a generous man, everyone who is a friend to a man who gives gifts, right? Everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. I think there's a saying in professional sports that once you get your big contract, no new friends. No new friends because those people try to bleed you dry. The difference between someone who really is for your good and you're for their good Versus somebody who's just trying to take from you. Maybe not be monetarily, could be emotionally, could be otherwise. How do we have that kind of friendship together? What does that look like? Again, Four Loves, this is C.S. Lewis, says it this way. We picture lovers face to face, but we picture friends side by side. Their eyes look ahead. This is why pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. All right, so what he's talking about is that true friendship is built not on just one another, but a common allegiance. Right, that we have a common allegiance. So you think about any kind of friendship that you've ever had, particularly if you think about if you played sports in high school or even college, the kind of bond that you've had if you served in the military, the kind of bond of what bringing men together who have a common cause well, there is no greater bond that we have than Jesus Christ. And when we are in common allegiance to him together as brothers, there's really no stopping us. That's really the message of the Bible when it comes to the church. We are called to a common allegiance to Christ in brotherhood. All right, so true friendship favors their wives. Third, true friendship is founded upon faithfulness. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. You'll see, especially with Proverbs 27, 10, the word neighbor is interchangeable with the word friend in Hebrew. So neighbor equals friend, friend equals neighbor. That could even teach us the way we even think about friendship. You know, who is my neighbor, right? Who is my friend? All right, so if that's true, if what, he's, what he's saying then in 2710, all right, when you're in trouble and you've got a biological brother who, say, lives in Seattle, he's saying, don't go to that person. Don't go to your brother. Go to your friend who lives down the block. Because if you have a friend who's closer to you than a brother, then better is that person who's actually around you all the time than even somebody as close as a biological brother who could be far away. That's very practical. But you give me to think, do I, do I have people? Who do you go to when you're in trouble? 
When something is hard, who do you call? Do you have people in your life who have known you through both good and bad? It's important. People in your life that have known you through things that have been very good, times of prosperity, and things that have been very hard, where they've seen you at your worst. Those are the kinds of true friends who are faithful, who are with you no matter what, who are faithful with you to the end. And that's the kind of friendship we're called to. Why? Because Christ is faithful to us. Though we are faithless, He is exceedingly faithful. And there's a few practical ways that Proverbs talks about what this faithfulness might look like. Uh, First, we shouldn't gossip. We shouldn't gossip. Very practical, as Proverbs tends to be. Proverbs 16.28, don't think this is on your sheet. Proverbs 16.28, a dishonest man spreads strife. A whisperer separates close friends. You know, the man who is going to go behind someone's back and talk about them, whisper things, break the confidence, friendship, right? You need confidence, right? You need the kind of confidence that you would know that, hey, this is not going to be shared somewhere else. The kind of person who would whisper behind your back, well, that's the kind of man, Proverbs says, who separates close friends. Proverbs 25, 9 says, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. We'll talk about more. The, the next point speaks to this, but what he's saying is basically, if you've ever had an, a disagreement with someone, typically what we'll do is we'll go talk to somebody else about it first. Now, it's okay to do that if you're just trying to get wisdom and particularly to know, hey, am I in the wrong here? And if you do that, I would, I would caution you, maybe don't use that person's name. Well, what this proverb is saying is typically, you know, don't go talk to somebody else about your issue. Go talk to that man. We used to, in college, we talk about coming at me sideways. Right? Don't come at me sideways. Come at me face to face. Let's talk about this as men. Don't try to, you know, block me in the back or come at me sideways or blindside me. But let's talk about this face to face. Right? Proverbs speaks against gossip. It also speaks that we should forgive. This is on your sheet, Proverbs 17, 9. Probably the greatest application of our faithfulness to one another as men. We're called to forgive one another. As Christ has forgiven us, Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love. Think about the idea of covering all of our sins, covering our offenses, right? Covering our guilt, our sin, and our shame. Whoever covers an offense seeks loves, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever keeps bringing it up holds a grudge. Again, that is the man who separates close friends. So, really, friendship, it's founded on faithfulness. The faithfulness that we see, Christ's faithfulness to us. All right, fourth thing. Fourth thing. True friendship leads us to the truth. And we'll spend a little bit longer on this. True friendship leads us to the truth. Proverbs 27, 17. You've probably heard this proverb before. Uh, Very, very famous, particularly men's groups, promise keepers, things like that. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And you can see why that would be, you know, the battle cry, right? We like that. Iron, you know, we sharpen one another. But if you really think about that, we're really going to sharpen one another. What's that going to be like? (laughs) 
I mean, really. It means something, doesn't it? It means we have to be willing to be honest with each other. A true friend is a person who would be honest with you, who would love you enough to be honest with you. That there's a way that Proverbs is about to tell us that we'll read that if you, if you find yourself not being honest with people, not being willing to speak up, not being willing to call them out, that that's actually not more loving. That's less loving. That sometimes the most loving thing you can do for a true friend is to speak the truth. Is to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth can be painful because we're sinful. We need to hear the truth. So if we're gonna, really going to sharpen one another as men, we have to be willing be willing to open ourselves up to some pain for our good and for the glory of God. This is uh, Ephesians here, Ephesians 4. You've heard this before, I'm sure. This is Paul who says that we're called to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint for which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The building of the church of Christ, the community of the saints, building up in love requires that we speak to one another, to speak the truth in love. And one of your questions to wrestle with as a, as a group this morning is, well, can you have love without truth? So can you really love someone if you're not willing to speak the truth to them? But can you really speak truth to somebody if you don't love them? Can they even hear that? What does it really look like to speak the truth in love? Uh, this is how Proverbs is going to put it for us this morning. These are on your sheet. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Love that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So you might think, well, I want to surround myself with people who flatter me, who tell me that I'm doing it all right. <laughs> people who are yes men, they'll say, man, you are just crushing it. You're doing a great job. You are all that is man. That's who I want to be around. And Proverbs saying, don't do that. <laughs> it's not going to end well. You need people in your life who are going to be faithful enough that they would even wound you for the sake of the gospel. Though they might wound your pride with what they say, because they love you, it's the best possible thing for you to hear. People who will call you out. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor again, a man who flatters his friend, spreads a net for his feet. Right? The one who just flatters you all the time, that's like a net who's going to totally entrap you. It's going to inflate your ego. And typically the people that we surround ourselves like that, are people who share our same sin struggle. <laughs> right? We all have the same blind spots. We want people like that around us. People who have the same sin struggle as us, so we don't call each other out. But to have people in your life who are so different than you, that they don't sin the way you do, and you don't sin the way they do, you don't have the same blind spot. So you can point, that, you can point one another to the cross. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So again, the idea of rebuke. Rebuke can be a major use of grace in our life. We need rebuke. We need rebuke. 
Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I don't think that's on your sheet, but if, if you want to write it down, Proverbs 27, 9, the sweetness of a friend comes with earnest counsel, right? The one who gives us good counsel. Now, if right now you're thinking, man, I love this. I just love calling people out. This is, this is great. This is great for me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave here, and I actually have like a list of people that I've been meaning to call, and I'm just going to let them have it. Uh, I'm going to point you now to Proverbs 11:12, and do write this down. Proverbs 11:12 should have put this on our sheet. Proverbs 11:12. This, as Proverbs tends to do, wisdom right gives us some rails. Proverbs 11:12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. All right, so whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. We're called to rebuke one another. We're not called to belittle one another. That's not love either. So with any friendship that you have, if you really are going to rebuke, rebuke requires a few things. First, it requires that you take the plank out of your own eye, (laughs) that you recognize that you are just as sinful as the person you're talking to, and that likely what you are saying, you probably need to say to yourself first. The second thing it requires, that's grace, really. The second thing it requires is love. Are you saying this because you love them? Are you saying this because you love yourself? Because you want to be right. So Proverbs warns us, hey, we're not called to belittle our friends. That's not what we're called to. And then it goes on, Proverbs eleven twelve, and says this, a man of understanding. So the wise man, a man of understanding remains silent. Sometimes, the third thing, is prayer, sometimes maybe God's calling you not to say anything at all. And we need to stop and pray before we rebuke someone and consider, is this really what God is calling me to? To point this out in a brother, is this really what God is calling me to? Because maybe he's called you to be silent, to be long-suffering, to just bear with that person. Henry Nouwen said it this way, and I love this. He said, When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face us with the reality of our own powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. It's an amazing statement. You probably feel this the most maybe with your, with your spouses, with your wives. If you're like me, you're always trying to fix it. <laughs> Don't fix it. Can you, can you actually be a friend and be present with a brother, but maybe God's called you to be silent with them, to mourn with them, to bear whatever pain they're going through with them and to recognize, yeah, this is hard and we are powerless. And right now the only solution is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? All right, so lastly, we'll end this morning. We'll send you to your groups. True friendship, true friendship extends even to our enemies. True friendship extends even to our enemies, and we'll, we'll make this very quick. Proverbs twenty four seventeen. do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Uh, let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, right? Don't rejoice when you see someone who might be against you. 
When you think about enemies and what enemies you have, you might this morning think, I don't have any enemies. But think about just even ideologically, people you might disagree with politically, uh, theologically, morally speaking. Maybe, yes, people you've disagreed with in business. Saying, don't, don't rejoice when you see them get hurt, when you see them, right, the, the error of their folly begin to bite them. Don't rejoice in that, right? 25, 21, Proverbs 25, 21 goes even further. It's not just don't rejoice when they face hardship. He says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. I love this uh, verse, and I love this proverb, and the idea of heaping burning coals on one he- someone's head, you know, seems, well, that doesn't seem very nice. Uh, but if you think about it, really, and you study it, there's, this has been interpreted about a hundred different ways. Probably the one that I, I favor the most is this. If you think about Malachi, you've maybe heard this idea before, it comes from Malachi, that our God refines us, right? He's a refining God, like a refiner's fire, seeking to purify us. And so the idea of heaping coals on someone's head is the idea that your kindness towards someone who has shown you evil actually is more convicting and points to the kindness of our God than you returning fire with fire. Does that make sense? So if someone treats you poorly and you treat them poorly in return, that's not going to point them to repentance. But if you return evil with kindness, evil with good, then that's like a refiner's fire, right? It's heaping coals on their head. It's purifying them. It's showing them that's not the way we are called to be. Uh, Paul quotes this very proverb in in Romans 12. He says, quotes it um, directly, and in verse 21, he then says, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's really what this is about, overcoming evil with good. Now, why might we be called to that? Why might we be called to love our enemies like that? Well, Christ commands us to love our enemies. Why? Because we were once his enemies too. It's the great radical reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not only that Christ has called us friends, but that Christ has called you and me, who Paul calls in Romans, that we were once enemies. And while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Though we were opposed to him, though we had committed treason, Jesus Christ considered us as friends, true friends, the kind of friend who's closer than a brother, the kind of friend that you would die for. And though we were once enemies, Jesus Christ has called us friends, and he died for us, he's laid us his life down for us, and he's called us to that same kind of friendship for the sake of the gospel. Friendship is much deeper than we realize. It's close to the heart of God. And it what enables us to really begin to taste and see what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. All right, so let me pray for you, send you to your tables. Thank you for being here this morning. Father, we thank you for the Proverbs. We thank you for a topic that sometimes we don't think about enough. I know that's true for me, and it might not be true for everyone in this room, but I know it's true for me. And so I pray this morning that as we really consider what it means to be friends, that we would, one, that you would bless us, that you would grant us true friends who would love us and point us to the gospel, and that you would help us, enable us to cultivate and steward those friendships 
as the gracious gifts that they are for us. Help us to really live out the friendship that you have shown us. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.